Uh, please take your Bibles and turn to 1 Timothy chapter 3. Uh, 1 Timothy chapter 3, we'll be reading in just a moment, verses 8 through 13. I noticed this morning we have a new clock in the back, and it's much bigger. I don't know if that's trying to tell me something, but um, we have a much bigger clock now. 1 Timothy chapter 3. Uh, last week, we looked at the qualifications for the office of elder, and tonight we're going to look at the qualifications for the office of deacon. 1 Timothy 3, uh, beginning at verse 8. Deacons, likewise, must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. They must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience, and let them also be tested first, then let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. Their wives, likewise, must be dignified, not slanderers, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. Let deacons each be the husband of one wife, managing their children and their own households well. For those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. You know, there are times uh, when I think we wish that Jesus was still physically present on this earth. Uh, there are times that, that maybe you've thought before, you know, it would sure be nice if, if Jesus still walked this earth. Now, now, we know, of course, that if he was on this earth, he would be limited in terms of his physical presence. Uh, physically, Jesus is not omnipresent. Uh, but, you know, we might think, well, maybe if he came by our church once a year, wouldn't that be a blessing for us? But, you know, the fact of the matter is that we have something that, in a certain sense, is much better. Uh, first of all, by the Holy Spirit, Jesus is always with us. And, and he's not just with us when we gather for worship. He's not just with us here on Sunday, on the Lord's Day. He's always with each one of us individually. As the Heidelberg Catechism says, the Holy Spirit has been given to me and will remain with me forever. And so the Spirit of God is always with us. Secondly, though, Jesus has instituted the offices of the church so that through them he would rule us and care for us and shepherd us. And that's a blessing that God has given us elders and deacons, the under-shepherds, in a sense, of Christ who will care for us. And that's certainly the, the case with the office of deacon. It is through the ministry of our deacons that Christ ministers his love and his compassion to us. Now, now I think that we often view the office of deacon as somehow less than the office of elder. We, we view deacons as kind of like a junior office, maybe like a triple-A baseball compared to major league baseball, maybe a, a stepping stone or training ground for the office of elder. But, but I would encourage all of us that, that we really should purge that kind of thinking from our minds. This is not a junior office. This is not triple-A uh, this is not a, a stepping stone for something more important. The office of deacon, and the Lord has blessed us with six men in this church, 
that office is incredibly important and significant. Without our deacons, the, the ministry of this church would be impaired and hampered. And so tonight, as, as we think about this passage, as we think about the importance of, of our deacons and the importance of service, I, I want you to notice three things. First of all, notice with me in a moment the background to the office of deacon. Then notice the qualifications, and then finally we'll notice the reward. The, the background, the qualifications, and the reward. Uh, take your Bibles to understand the background and go back to Acts chapter 6 for just a moment. Um, this, this chapter helps answer the question, where do deacons come from? Deacons are Acts chapter 6, right after the Gospel of John, right before the book of Romans. Acts chapter 6, and we'll begin reading at verse 1. It says, Now in these days... When the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty, but we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word." And what they said pleased the whole gathering, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Procurus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. This is the origin of the office of deacon. You, you've, got the, you've got the first century church, and there's a problem all churches have problems, and this church had a problem. The, the problem is that there was a group of widows in the church who were being overlooked. They weren't being taken care of. It wasn't intentional. It, it wasn't that they said, well, these people have a need, but we don't care. We're not going to serve them. They were simply being overlooked. The church was so busy at this time that, that this group of women kind of slipped through the cracks. And so the apostles came together, and they said, look, our, our priority is to preach the word our priority is to proclaim the gospel. And if we give our time to serving the various needs of the church, physical needs, material needs, we're going to have to cut back on our preaching, and we can't do that. So here's what we're going to do, the apostles said. We're going to appoint seven men who will oversee caring for the widows of the church and meeting other needs, and that way we can devote our ministry to preaching and prayer. We can devote our time to those things. And so that's what they do. And, and that's how the office of deacon was established. And, and really, the office of deacon is designed to display the love of Christ for his people in tangible ways. Uh, very simply, it, it involves serving the needs of others. That's actually what the word deacon means. It means serving or servant. Now, this doesn't mean that, that it always has to be the deacons doing the serving. This doesn't mean that, that any time there is a, a material or a physical need or someone needs to be moved or somebody needs a meal, that the deacons always have to be the men and their wives who, who do this work. Sometimes the deacons will, will engage other people in the congregation to help serve. But at its very heart, the, the office of deacon is an office of service. 
And in fact, we, we even see this idea come up a couple of times in our passage in 1 Timothy. If you have it, turn to 1 Timothy 3. Verse 10 talks about those who, notice, serve as deacons. Verse 13 talks about those who serve well as deacons. Being a deacon, or deaconing, if you want to invent a word, means serving. Serving the needs of others. So this kind of helps us to, to see where this office comes from. It helps us to see what the, what the work of this office typically entails. It involves serving, often in, in behind-the-scenes ways, often in, in ways you don't know about, uh, but in, it means serving the needs of other people. So let's look at the qualifications. Um, I find eight qualifications that Paul lists here for the office of deacon. We can break them down into three categories. The first category is character. Now, if you were here last Sunday night... You, you remember that uh, the most important thing for an elder is to be a man of character, to be a godly man. It, it doesn't talk about how many businesses the man may have started. It, it doesn't talk about his net worth. It doesn't talk about his popularity. It doesn't talk about his charisma. It talks about his character, and, and that's the same with our deacons. They are to be men of character, and there are five things under the category of character. Number one, the deacon is to be dignified. Now, when you hear the word dignified, you, you might think of someone who kind of looks and acts a certain way. They, they dress in a very dignified manner. They, they speak in a very dignified manner. But that's not really what Paul is talking about. The, the Greek word that is translated dignified refers to a man who is serious-minded. He, he, it doesn't mean he never laughs. It doesn't mean he ever jokes around. It, it means he's serious about his service in the church. He's serious about spiritual matters. He, he's serious about his own spiritual life. He's serious about the spiritual life of his family. He takes spiritual matters very seriously. That's what it means to be dignified. Secondly, notice the deacon must not be double-tongued. This is, interestingly, the only place in the New Testament this word is used. It, it refers to a person who is um, consistent in their speech. They, they don't say one thing to this person and then turn around and say another thing to this person. It, it also carries with it, obviously, the idea of guarding your tongue. You know, whether you're, a, whether you're an elder or a deacon, uh, you're going to find out things that the average church member doesn't know and doesn't need to know. Uh, and there's a, there's a lot of information that, that elders and deacons have to guard in confidence. You, you don't want a deacon who can't guard his mouth. And so that's another important qualification. Third, he must not be addicted to wine. We, we looked at this last week with regard to elders, but the point is that a man who serves in office can't be a man who is given over to alcohol, can't be a man who can't control himself. Now, now some of our Fundamentalist brothers and sisters in Christ will tell us that this is a prohibition of all alcohol. Um, that's actually an argument that's nowhere supported in Scripture. Wine, after all, is the most mentioned drink in the Bible. Uh, but it's the addiction to alcohol that, that Paul is, is getting at here. Number four, he must not be greedy for dishonest gain. Um, he must not be a man who, who wants to use his office to line his pockets. You think that that's especially true for deacon, right? Because a deacon has access, direct access, to the financial giving of God's people. 
And, and many churches throughout the years have had difficulty when uh, people in leadership will take funds that aren't theirs. And so you, you don't want a deacon who, who is in it for the money and gets his hand on the money, and the next thing you know, he's embezzled a lot of money. And so this is a very important qualification as well. And then number five, he, he must be the husband of one wife. This is the, this is the same one Paul lists for elders. It, it, remember from last week, it literally means a one-woman man. Uh, in other words, he's, if he's married, he's devoted exclusively to his wife. Whether he's married or not, he's, he's committed to sexual purity. And so character is very important. Paul highlights character for elders and now for deacons. The second category of qualifications we could call discernment. There, there's just one thing here, and that is that the deacon must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. It's a little bit different than the qualification for elder, right? The, the elder, Paul says, must be able to teach, must be able to explain to others, teach others the core essential doctrines of Scripture. That's, that's crucial. That, that's not said here about the deacon. Instead, Paul says that he must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. I, I think the point is that the deacon needs to know the truth of Scripture, be committed to the truth of Scripture, and, and must be able to, to recognize the difference between truth and error, especially, again, as it relates to the core doctrines of Christianity. In other words, to be a deacon, you, you don't have to know the difference between infralapsarianism and superlapsarianism. And you're all going, I have no idea what that is. It's okay. You're not missing much. Um, you, you also don't need to be able to, you know, explain the 70 weeks of Daniel in Daniel chapter 9 to everyone. That's not a qualification. But, but you do need to know and be convinced of the essentials of Scripture, the, the infallibility and inerrancy of the Bible, the Trinity, the sinfulness of man, the virgin birth, the work of Christ and his life, death, and resurrection, salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone, apart from works, those kinds of things. So a deacon needs to be convinced of those things because there are times, and, and I think our deacons will tell you this, there are times when they need to speak the word of God to a person. Let's say, for example, that, that someone outside this church comes and needs physical or financial help. And, and the deacons meet with that person. It, it's a, an open door, the perfect opportunity for a deacon or deacons, plural, to, to teach that person the gospel and to explain to them what, what Christianity is. Uh, if a deacon is meeting with someone in our own congregation who is struggling, hurting, they, they need to be able to comfort that person with Scripture. And so that's why it's important not only that they be convinced of it, but, but also to know the core truths of Scripture to be able to teach that to others. In fact, one of, the, one of the first deacons, his name was Stephen, actually preached a sermon. Deacons, maybe one day you'll be called to preach. Uh, you, you can read that sermon in Acts chapter 7. Now, the reaction to the sermon wasn't very good, and so you deacons may not want to read that part, but Stephen preached this great sermon. He pointed the, the people to Christ, and at the end of the sermon, they, they took him and they, they stoned him to death. But, but Stephen faithfully 
preach the gospel, preach the word of God. And so the deacon needs to be convinced of the truth of Scripture. In fact, when we, when we install elders and deacons here at Zion, you remember that they, go, they come here in the front, and on this communion table, they will sign what we call the form of subscription, that the elders and the deacons are saying, I, I believe the truths of the Bible as, as confessed in our Reformed confessions, and I will stand for them. I will, I will promote them. I will defend them. And so again, this, this discernment piece of the puzzle is very important. You have character. You have discernment. There's a third category. We will call it experience. Um, two things here. First of all, Paul says that he must first be tested. This kind of goes hand in hand with what we looked at last week with regard to elders. You remember that an elder is not to be a recent convert. You, you don't want to take a man who was just converted to Christianity and say, hey, he seems like a really good guy. Uh, he seems very charismatic. He seems very personable. seems very engaging. Let, let's make him an elder right away. Uh, that's a recipe for disaster. Paul says that, that Satan will attempt to get a hold of that man and, and ruin his ministry and damage the church. In much the same way, a deacon should be a man who is experienced. Uh, the, the church has witnessed that this is a, a, a faithful, godly man. doesn't mean he's perfect, because there are none of those. But it means that he is a faithful man. He is a godly man. Now, this doesn't mean that a, a 25-year-old can't be a deacon. It, it simply means that a church should observe this man's walk with Christ. He's been faithful in his church attendance. Uh, he's, he's faithful in ensuring that his, his children are receiving training at home and at school and at church, Sunday school. He's, he's faithful in being involved in the life of the church. Uh, I, don't, I don't think personally that it's helpful to take a man who is not faithful, to, to take a man who has not been serving in any way, and to say, you know what, uh, we should probably make him a deacon. We, we know he doesn't really do anything right now, but, you know, if we make him a deacon, maybe he'll actually do something. Um, I, I don't think we can square that kind of logic with what Paul writes here. The, the man is to, first of all, be tested. And so down the road, when, when elders and deacons are nominated, when the council opens up to the congregation and says to you, Give us names of men you believe are qualified. Think about these things. Is the man a man of character? Is the man a man who is holding firmly to the truths of the Christian faith? Is the man who is a man who has shown himself to be involved and active in the life of the church and in serving other people? Those are all very, very important. And then there's the, the second layer of his experience, and that is that he must manage his household well. I, I don't want to... I don't need to belabor this point all that much because we spent quite a bit of time last Sunday night. If you weren't here, you can listen to that sermon. But, but the home is really the, the home is the ultimate proving ground, isn't it? It's the ultimate testing ground for the effectiveness of a man's service. How is the man doing at loving his wife? How is the man doing in, in, in raising his children? How is the man doing in, in setting the spiritual tone for his home? Now, now, you take all of these things, and, and again, to me, what really stands out is character. The, the emphasis is on character. The emphasis is not on giftedness. The emphasis is not on ability. 
The emphasis is not on influence. The emphasis is on character. And, and this, as I thought about that this week, this is so radically different from our world. Our world does not select its leaders that way. How, how, how radically different this is. And, and we might be tempted to follow the world standards of choosing our leaders. But, but brothers and sisters, it is vital for a church to resist that temptation and, and to commit itself to following God's instructions for its leaders. Now at this point, there's this, um, this really much debated verse in, in the middle of all of this. If you look at your Bible, look at verse 11. Paul says, Their wives likewise must be dignified, not slanderers, but sober-minded, Faithful in all things. Now here's the debate. And and a lot of time has been spent on this over the years. Is this talking about the wives of deacons? Or is this talking about opening the door for women deacons? The office of, let's say, deaconess. There, There are some who will say that that Paul is talking here about the character that should be found in the wives of deacons. And it's at this point that the, the deacons' wives kind of worry a little bit and go, this, this is talking about me. But, but there are others who will say, no, Paul is now opening the door for women to serve as deacons. Neither one is correct. They're both wrong. Number one, I don't think this is referring to the wives of deacons. And I say this for a couple of reasons. First of all, the idea that that Paul is talking about deacons' wives doesn't really fit the context. Why why would he, you ever thought about this? Why would he talk about the, the wives of deacons but not the wives of elders? I don't think this is talking about the wives of deacons. Secondly, if you look at verse 11, if you look at it in the original language, it doesn't say they're wives. Instead, the original language just says this. It says women. Women. The the Greek word is used to refer to both married women and unmarried women. Literally, verse 11 says, likewise, women must be dignified, etc. Think of all the major Bible translations today. Only the NIV and the New American Standard get this right. All the other major, major Bible translations say wives, and the word is not the word for wives. It's the word for women. So it doesn't refer, in my view, and, and there are others who support my view, it doesn't refer to the wives of deacons. And number two, I don't think this is opening the door for women deacons. There's no New Testament example of a woman serving the office of deacon. First deacons, as we saw already from Acts chapter 6, were all men. This seems to fit in with what we looked at a few weeks ago in chapter 2 where Paul says that it is the men who are to serve as office bearers in the church all based on God's creation ordinance. So you say, well, okay, uh, if it's not the deacons' wives and if it's not women deacons, what is it? I have no idea. I'm just kidding. I, I have an idea. I think what Paul's getting at here is that women, godly women in the church, 
have a very important part in serving a congregation. Now, now certainly, uh, women are not to take on the kind of teaching ministry or authoritative ministry that a pastor or an elder or even a deacon has, although women can be Sunday school teachers. But, but women are active in providing service to the body of Christ. That's, that's certainly the case here at Zion. I mean, you, you open up your bulletin to this. You could just walk around the church and see this, but you, you open up your bulletin to the schedule page. Don't you see all the women the Lord is using here? Don't you see all the service that they are doing, whether it's um, nursery, refreshments, sound, video, uh, providing meals for people, teaching Sunday school classes, all of this is a tangible way of showing the love of Christ to the congregation. And if the women all of a sudden said, we're not serving, this church would collapse. Women here at Zion are are very, very faithful in serving. And so uh, perhaps what, what Paul is getting at here is that there should be certain women within the church who can be used to serve others in in certain specific situations. One author refers to them even as deacon's assistants. They come alongside deacons to, to help them in serving because let's face it, there are some situations in which it's better to have a godly woman involved. In fact, the, the Presbyterian Church in America actually makes a, a provision for this in their book of church order when they say elders are encouraged to select and appoint godly men and women of the congregation to assist the deacons in caring for the sick, the widows, the orphans, the prisoners, and others who may be in any distress or need. In other words, deacons' assistance. And, and Paul, I think, is making the case here that if, if you're going to do that, if you're going to select godly women to, to come alongside and, and serve in some kind of uh, assistant capacity alongside the deacons, they need to be godly women. You, you'll notice he says they have to be dignified. They have to be serious about their faith. They can't be slanderers, Paul says. They, they can't gossip about people. They can't divulge things that they shouldn't tell others and should keep in private. They must be sober-minded, means they must be stable. They must be self-controlled. They must be faithful in all things. The, the idea is that this is a person who's reliable, dependable. You can count on them. And so I think that's what Paul is getting at here. He's, he's talking about the, the vital role that specific godly women in a church play. Not, not as office bearers, not as elders or deacons or pastors, but they play a vital role in serving the needs of a church. And we are thankful that the Lord has given us women who serve in so many different ways here, who, who exhibit these kinds of characteristics that Paul mentions. One final thing, and that is the reward. Back to the deacons. Look at verse 13. For those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. I, I, I said this last Sunday night that um, the Lord has blessed us with wonderful deacons who, who serve this congregation. We, we hear about their service in our council meetings, and, and they are men who serve very faithfully here. And, and Paul gives to these men, 
both present and past deacons, this wonderful promise. He says two things. First of all, the deacon who serves well gains a good standing for himself. Deacons serve in unseen ways. They do a lot of things that, that, that we may not know about. And, and that really is the pattern that, that Jesus mentioned in his earthly ministry, right? He, he talked about being last. He talked about stooping down and washing the feet of others. He, he talked about simple things like giving someone a cup of cold water. The man who serves faithfully, the deacon who serves faithfully, the the man who serves not for the accolades and, and recognition of others, Paul says, will not be forgotten. Deacons, let that encourage you tonight that your service in this body will not be forgotten. Many of us may not know all that you do, deacons, but the Lord Jesus knows. And, and one day he will say to you, well done faithful servant. You have served my people and you have showed the love of Christ to my people. And secondly, the deacon, Paul says, who serves well has great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. It's hard to figure out exactly what Paul means here, but I think that as the deacon serves the congregation, he sees how the Lord is using him. He sees that, that in spite of his weakness and in spite of his struggles, God uses the ministry of the deacon to be a blessing to others. And as our deacons see that, as they see the, the vital role that they are playing, as they see God blessing their work, the deacon grows in his confidence that Jesus is with him and that the words of Jesus are indeed true. That Jesus will build his church. And the gates of hell will not prevail against it. That's the kind of confidence that a godly deacon gains. As he sees his ministry, his work being blessed. Brothers and sisters, we, we don't ever want to think of this office as some second class office. We don't ever want to think of these men as just in this office as kind of a, a stepping stone to elder. Now, some of the deacons will one day become elders. But that doesn't mean that, that you have to become an elder if you're a godly deacon. And, and it doesn't mean that, that you are now deacon some, some lower office. This is a vital, crucial ministry in our church where Jesus uses these men to, to show his love for his people. And, and just as I'm thankful for the ministry of our elders, I'm also thankful for the ministry of our deacons, and I hope you are too. Pray for these men. Pray for them by name. Their, their names are in the bulletin every Sunday. You can pray specifically for the deacons and for the elders. Encourage these men. Go up to them and, and thank them for their service and for their work. And especially with the office of deacon, notice how they point us to Jesus. Jesus didn't come to be served. He came to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And so as we see our deacons serving this body, we can think of Christ who came to serve us by dying for us 
that we might have life. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word again to us tonight. We thank you for our deacons, six godly men whom you have raised up and appointed to office here in this church. We thank you for those who have served so well in the past also. And pray that you would bless our deacons, Lord, encourage them in their ministry. And Father, in all of this, we we pray that not only would we see Christ in their ministry, but that all of us would strive to serve each other, that all of us would be willing to stoop down and to serve others who are in need. And so, Lord, use us to bring glory to your name. We ask this in Jesus' name.